In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. We need a new banner. A new banner? Okay, I'll talk about that after. Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Nightmare. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles International. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England's own band, Helsinki. With me all the way across the pond is the rock parapsychologist himself, the young Mr. Cal Cooper. Good evening, Ron. How's it going? It's going... Hey, do you have grass out there, like lawns and stuff? Yeah, of course we do. I don't know. You know, it's like another part of the world. Maybe you don't go into that. Who knows? <laughs> Everything's covered in concrete here. We don't like grass. <laughs> Uh, I wouldn't doubt it either that. You get freaking goats eating on it. I don't know. <laughs> but, yeah, it's most annoying. I try to keep mine as natural as possible. But, anyways, so I tried cutting mine because I'm having people over tomorrow and uh-huh. with a lawnmower that hadn't started in three years. So you get the picture. Oh, so you've been struggling trying to get the thing going then? Yeah, so if I die in the year, just carry on. Well, the other way around it is you could just go out onto the lawn with a pair of scissors. <laughs> if you're that done that before. <laughs> oh no. Anyways, Cal, what's new? What's exciting for you? I sent your check to that wonderful parapsychology group here in the U.S. Where you're going to get some traditional journals to. Yes. For you to uh, peruse. I needed those for some of those are for my PhD and some other ones. I needed some references for the um, project that I've been working on with Steve where we're reviving old um, mysterious boxes of psychical research that had various purposes for contacting the dead and so forth. Um, But mainly what I've been working on today is I've been writing up papers regarding telephone calls from the dead. I've been putting all the statistics together. I've been writing some articles trying to look at human emotions and paranormal experiences and I've also been putting together some um, lecture slides for tomorrow because I'm teaching some high school students or college students um, parapsychology. So hopefully getting them interested before they even get to university. So I've tried to make it as entertaining as I can. So there's some pictures of Ghostbusters in there and trying to show them what is and what isn't parapsychology. So what's the difference between college and university there? Um, college is your high school, basically. It's where you do your studies before you get to university. So oh. over here... When you have college here, it's called sixth form, and you do two years, but you do your A-levels instead of a high school diploma. There are some places that do diplomas here, um, which are called B-techs or national diplomas, but most people do A-levels. 
Um, so you can pick several subjects and you get an A-level in each. Because when I was at college, I did A-levels in photography, psychology, electronics, and general studies. And then uh, I could do enrichment classes as well, where I could get qualifications in different things, just certificate courses like uh, filmmaking and sign language. So huh. that's basically the difference. It's just a different name. You've got high school, we've got college. Yeah, because we have college too, but college is like university. It sometimes goes into the title because um, the University of Northampton, where I'm at, it used to be called the University College Northampton, and it's just upgrading the status because a lot of universities in the UK mm-hmm. were just polytechnic places. They were called polytechnics, um, like Nottingham Trent University. That used to be Nottingham Trent Polytechnic. And as it gets upgraded and it gets an official class and upgraded as a, a bigger establishment for education, it gets a a bigger title and eventually it becomes the university of a certain city or town and they kind of wipe the college status. That's simply amazing. <laughs> but I do have to tell you a little known fact, but uh, when I was going to college, which is your university, um, I actually worked for a company called RCA and I worked in the chem lab and uh, the project I worked on was the lunar excursion module. So some of my junk is on the moon. How do you like that? Oh, that is pretty impressive. Have you ever seen it through a telescope and given it a wave? Nah. <laughs> it's probably been, you know, up on blocks and the tires stolen and who knows. Anyways, I think we have a guest on the line. You're listening to Ghost Chronicles International with uh, Mr. Cal Cooper, uh, soon to be Dr. Cal Cooper, and of course, Professor Ron Kolick, because now I'm teaching another course at uh, college, which is your university here. So there you go. And our very special guest today is uh, Matt Doctor. Excuse me. He is a real doctor, unlike uh, Mr. Cal. Um, (laughs) Matt Colburn. Hi, Matt. Uh, should, we call him doc- should we call you doctor or should we call you Matt or Mr. Colburn? Uh, just, call, uh, just call me Matt. <laughs> it's great to be back. Yeah, yeah but back You know, but I looked at your picture and you, you look like, you know, you're Cal's age. Do I? Um, you do. It's very flattering. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm a, a bit older than Cal. Oh, you are? Okay. I, I don't know. He's got, he always brings on these young studs onto the show, so I just thought you were another young stud. There you go, Matt. You've got a, a compliment on your age and also been called a stud in the first minute of you being on. Absolutely. It's just <laughs> got to get better and better from here. <laughs> so, Cal, you want to do the introduction for me, please? Yeah, definitely. We, we have Matt on, who's a, a writer, um, a researcher, an author as well of his uh, book, Pluralism of the Mind, which came out last year, and we discussed that last time Matt was on. We'll, we'll come to that later in the show. Um, what else is he? He's a, a psychologist and parapsychologist, psychical researcher, comedian, stripper, whatever mm. else. <laughs> but... Um, Uh, Matt, um, I thought it'd be great to bring you back onto the show because um, something that we've mainly focused on, ghosts and hauntings and techniques for investigating paranormal phenomena. And what we haven't done is revisit um, sort of classic paranormal phenomena, the 14 phenomena, um, such as um, monsters, UFOs, Bigfoot and so forth. And I know um, that that's sort of how you got involved in the first place and ventured into psychical research and parapsychology. So could you tell us a bit how you got um, kind of captivated by 14 phenomena? Well, before, yeah, you, sure. you, 
Matt, before you get it, why don't you explain? I've never heard this term before, 14 phenomena. Um, yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, it's spelled F-O-R-T-E-A-N. It's after Charles Fort. Um, he was an American author who lived in the early 20th century. He lived in New York. And in 1919, he published a book called The Book of the Damned. <laughs> and The Book of the Damned was a book that he basically, he spent a lot of time in the, I think it was the, in various libraries in, in New York and the Library of Congress and, and in London, looking through scientific and other journals and collecting strange things that, that didn't seem to fit in. So um, he was looking for things like the fall of fish from the sky, strange okay. lights in the sky. He was one of the first people to um, collect what we would call flying saucer or UFO reports. And he also, he wrote a book on, on psychic phenomena called World Talents. So he was very important for sort of creating the modern interest in the paranormal. So that's, that's what you got you involved in it, uh, was uh, Mr. Fourteen? Yeah, did well, I? Not quite. I mean, what happened for me was I think it, it's the same as a lot of people, um, there were children's books around and sort of general books on mysteries. And, you know, a lot of these books that you can get, say, in the supermarket or, or wherever, they don't just focus on ghosts. They have a bit on ghosts and then they have a bit on monsters and then they have a bit on UFOs and maybe other bits on sort of other mysteries. And, and so you don't just read about ghosts. You tend to read about the whole spread of things. Yeah. And it was sort of only later that, that I found out about, about Charles Ford. I was just discussing this with Matt. I mean, the library where um, I grew up in Sutton in Ashfield, that had at least five or six um, main books on paranormal phenomena that me and my friends, we always used to go straight to that section of the library and look yeah. at them. And there were, like, um, we, there were Ladybird books, um, the publication, and um, they discussed just a whole range of phenomena. It wouldn't single out ghosts or anything like that. You'd open it up and you go from one page and it discussed Harry Price and Borley Rectory and Jeff the Talking Mongoose and it'd have illustrated oh. pictures. And you go to the next page and it'd be stuff on alien abductions and UFOs. And this is something that in parapsychology we generally separate. We don't normally investigate claims of Bigfoot or UFOs in parapsychology. We look at this idea of the extended mind. Um, but this is something that interested me, and it's, it seems to have interested Matt as well, this whole yeah. world of possibilities. Really? You know, when I was a kid, I, I never really spent much time in the library. It was more chasing women and playing guitar. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, to each their own. You, you're a far better man being, than I am. I'm talking about being at the age of nine or ten here. <laughs> oh, same so here. am I. Definitely. <laughs> it, was a, it was a childhood thing apart from anything else. I mean, we had children's books in, over here in the 70s called uh, their Osborne books of the unknown. And they had wonderful illustrations. And that was one of the things that, that um, drew me, actually, because they, they had paintings of the Loch Ness Monster and Bigfoot and flying saucers and great, mm. great paintings of ghosts as well. Giant um, I didn't know about the Ladybird. I didn't know about the Ladybird books, uh, Cal. I'm, I'm sure it was them. I could be mistaken, but I remember them uh, being so popular for like doing common publications on them. 
Um, but, you know, there'd be stuff in there about the Marie Celeste and it had an illustrated picture of all the tables there with the fresh dinners that were still piping hot and the whole place being abandoned and people coming on to investigate where the crew have gone or even old classic paintings of a giant squid attacking Spanish galleons. And, you know, that stuff. Wow, is that actually possible? Do those sort of creatures still exist in our seas? And it's just, you know, once in a blue moon, people actually encounter these things or the abominable snowman as well. And you read these accounts that are here and there. And, you know, that's the sort of thing that I thought, wow, I'm really interested in these reports that people are coming forward with. Are they doing it for media publicity or have they genuinely seen something? Because, you know, we have a lot of animals that become extinct and you see less and less of. Is this the same case? You know, is Bigfoot just an animal that's becoming extinct or is now extinct? And the same with these other things. I mean, you know, there's more sea than there is land. So maybe out there there's such things as these giant squids that we see in the illustrations of them attacking an entire Spanish galleon and taking it down under the sea. And also, um, when I went to the University of Bath last year for the ASAP conference, I picked up a small pamphlet on the Bermuda Triangle. That was something that also went in 14, a phenomena. Yes, it was. I mean, um, with the... with the, I mean, there's a whole spread of things that we can talk about. You know, we, we've, only, we've only got an hour here, but we could honestly spend all week just going through... There are so many things um, that w- that we could talk about. Mm. Giant squid's an interesting one, actually, because it was um, it's a nice example of an of an animal that was thought to be mythical in the nineteenth century, and yeah. there were sailors' reports of of uh, meeting giant squid on the ocean, and it was finally I can't remember exactly when it was. I think it was the eighteen eighties. Um, they finally found located and, and identified bodies which which were were washed up on the shore so it's the squid is a really nice example of a something that was thought to be mythical that turned yeah. out to have a basis in reality and who knows maybe some of these these other creatures do too well, well do you th- that's kind of what it is though i mean do you think that perhaps there are real creatures that have that exist that aren't too far-fetched, but people have embellished upon them or, you know, legend has grown upon them. For instance, I mean, we do have large squids. So, I mean, it goes from large to big to gigantic to titanic. Yeah, um, it's well, it's very difficult because uh, the whole field that we're talking about is um, the it's called cryptozoology sort of right, cryptozoology. what that means is hidden hidden animals um and it sort of deals with with sort of people's reports of animals and maybe footprints or maybe sort of blurry photographs maybe material remains and i think the first thing that we can say is that just ordinary biologists are discovering new animals all the time you know mm-hmm. it's constant constantly but mostly they're very small, and they're things like insects or small mammals. Larger mammals have been found found recently. It's thought that there are um, unknown species of whale still to be discovered. That's well in the mainstream. I think what happens is, though, that you get the, those um, creatures that tend to raise eyebrows, which is things like lake monsters and, and Bigfoot. And sort of there are huge question marks that, that hang over that. And I have to be honest and say that I don't know about specific creatures. You know, 
And I think what you've got to do is, in each case, you've just got to look at what the arguments are for them and what the arguments are against them and make up your own mind, really. Right. Well, you know, it's another interesting thought is that perhaps some of these creatures are now, really aren't ancient creatures, but new creatures, uh, creatures that have um, not morphed, but uh, what's the word I'm looking for, Clay? I mean, uh, what's that? Evolved, maybe? Evolved, thank you very much. Thank you. We've evolved into newer creatures. I, I know there are... Uh, new sharks that they have discovered that uh, they never knew about before. Yeah, that they they believe that these sharks evolved. So some of the, maybe some of these creatures are creatures that were but have evolved into something else. Yeah, may, maybe. I mean, I, I think it it really depends. Sharks is an interesting one actually, and, and the ocean is in general because. Um, they're sending an awful lot of submarines down now, sort of manned ones and un- uncrewed ones. Right. And every time they go down, every single time, pretty much, they find a new a new animal. Yeah. And that's pretty amazing, isn't it? You know, th- it is. that's how much we know the ocean. We really yeah. don't know very much about it at all. I loved it when they first started to make documentaries about that, and the deeper they went, they got... Um, uh, creatures down there that were looking like carousels or lit up with these beautiful lights and stuff because they were so deep down they were practically living in darkness and it was so hard to actually get down to where they were because of obviously the the pressure of the water down there so they had to have more developed and sophisticated submarines or camera equipment that could actually get down there and withstand the pressure so you know again as i went uh, as i said earlier you know the vastness of the ocean there's so much stuff down there that's alive that we have no documentation of Oh, absolutely. Just come into being, or they've evolved over time, and there's various um, kind of different things down there. But there are some things that people still persist in exploring, like the Loch Ness monster. And yeah. um, Matt just mentioned uh, cryptozoology. I absolutely loved that film with Ted Danson, where he was portrayed as a cryptozoologist who was working for the universities and being paid to actually come over from the United States to Scotland and he was scanning the lake and he was actually getting funding to do this, to actually look for evidence of Loch, uh, the Loch Ness Monster. And um, I know, uh, Matt, you, you interviewed the Journal of the uh, Scientific Exploration um, about Loch Ness at Loch Ness, so could you tell us a bit more about that? Yes, I, I do. And if, if you're interested, if the um, listeners are interested, I put up on my blog, Cosmic Citizen, um, a a sort of, I thought it would be good to put a few references up today for people who want to follow up their own research. And I've included a link to an interview I did with, um, um, in 2004, with Henry Bauer, who was the editor of a journal called the Journal of Scientific Exploration. He's not anymore. He's um, he's retired from that now. But um, Henry Bauer is a um, scientist by training, um, and he um, has written on sort of scientific anomalies, but he also has very, for a very long time been was interested in, still is, interested in the Loch Ness Monster. And it was a really great opportunity to go up to Loch Ness um, and interview him sort of where where it all sort of happened. And, and so, I, you know, I was able to spend the day 
um, touring the lake with someone who'd actually written a book on the Loch Ness Monster and sort of asking him about what he thought about it and, and, and a lot of other things which you'll read about in the interview. It was, it was, it was great. So can you give some of it away? I mean, what was Henry's opinion about Loch Ness? Well, um, he, he very firmly, I think, thought that there was something there. And I, he, the reason why he thought that there was something in it was that there had been lots of radar con, uh, sonar uh, contacts from boats where people have picked up contacts that were a lot stronger than and fish or anything that should have been there and there was also a film um, that was taken in 1961 by a man called Tim Dinsdale who devoted Tim Dinsdale was a monster hunter and he devoted his um, well not career but he devoted an awful lot of time to hunting the Loch Ness monster back in the 1960s and in 1961 he took a film of what he claims was was the Loch Ness Monster. Now, interestingly enough, um, Tim, Tim Dinsel unfortunately died uh, way back, about uh, 1987, I think, but not that long before he died, um, he actually came to our school. I was still at school at that time, wow. and he gave a lecture. So, <laughs> That's cool. you know, we'd seen both him and, um, and, and got to talk to Henry Bauer. So, as far as the Loch Ness monster is concerned, I, I don't know. I think there are there are arguments um, against it that are quite strong, but I I do respect um, um, Henry Bauer's opinion. Um, I think he thought about it very seriously, and, and he was able to advance some quite interesting arguments. Yeah. Did you see anything while you were there? Oh, I looked. <laughs> I looked. I'll tell you what, though. If you're looking for a holiday, it's a great place. It's a great place for a hiking holiday. It's a bit wet sometimes, yeah. but it really, if you, if you, you know, if you want to find somewhere in the UK where you think an unknown animal might lurk, I think Loch Ness is great. Um, I tell you what, though, do do take some binoculars because what what you tend to do is you tend to look at the loch the surface of the lock and you tend to think you see lots of things and you don't really quite know unless you have binoculars. <laughs> That's sort of like uh, matrixing in photographs. Yeah. yeah. What's that? I don't know what that is, actually. Matrixing? <laughs> That's like okay. uh, that's that's like seeing animals and clouds or people and oh, yeah. it's it's yeah. it's your mind putting order to disorder and and so any any little messed up thing is turned into a face or a demon or a ghost yeah. or yeah, we, we, Santa we, Claus we, or something. Yeah, we get that. Absolutely, very much so. And the trouble with the Loch Ness is that if you look at the surface, there's all sorts of weird kind of wave formations and shadows that kind of might look like a giant monster. And mm. you, I, I can see why people might, some people might sort of be mistaken. And there are apparently um, things like standing waves, which are sort of waves that tend to look like they're staying in the same place that, that um, have been mistaken as well. So you've got to be careful. Um, it doesn't. It, I didn't. It didn't really bother me though because it was such a. It was such a great location, and um, it was just it, the the atmosphere there is 
it's it's something else. It's well worth a visit if you're ever in the UK. <laughs> it seems to be that Scotland's got um, a reputation for having a lot of this strange phenomena. I know several people that have said when they were driving up to Scotland or coming out of there, they saw either a large cat crossing the road or an ape-like creature as well. And we're not um, just talking really? about... Yeah, yeah. We're not just talking about some weirdo in the wood dressed in a costume. They actually, you know, genuinely thought they'd seen this thing. And maybe they quickly said, oh, look, and slammed the brakes on, had a good look. And I know some people that went there several times and saw nearly the same thing in the same place. Um, large really? cats or, yeah, yeah. So, um, well, Alien big cats, or ABCs, are very common in the UK. They're, a, they're perhaps the best-known British mystery. Um, I haven't seen one myself, but there have been quite a few sighted in the area. I'm sort of around um, Lincolnshire in the Midlands area, East Anglia, the Midlands. And there are an awful lot over where we live, a lot sort of in the environs of Nottingham as well, I think, Cal, aren't there? Yeah, there's been a few. I've seen in the newspaper every time someone's advertised saying a big cat. I remember the last one was um, they'd taken a picture over some railway lines and it was like this massive panther-type cat. And um, you think, why has it been mistaken for a black Labrador? Or, you know, is it just um, something, like Ron has just said, are we confusing something on the photograph, which is actually something else, but looks like a large cat? Um, who knows? I mean, again, it's something that's very rare. And um, I, I think when it comes to some of the photographs, it's sometimes better just to have the eyewitness testimony in some cases that several people can say, yeah, I was right next to the thing. It, it looked like this because sometimes the camera can like it, it can line. It's not necessary that the person that took the photograph saw it at the time. It comes out on the photograph afterwards that leads us all into the whole area of ghost photography. But, yeah, I've certainly seen it crop up in the papers a few times. So it um, seems that somewhere in the woods we might have these large cats living. What intrigues me, I think, most about the UK is the Moors, of course, and the Hellhounds, the Black Shucks. Those are the ones that really intrigue me. I don't know, the Hounds of Baskerville type thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I, I've mentioned before, we've got um, Dr. Simon Sherwood over here, who's uh, one of my supervisors for my PhD and is based at the University of Northampton. He's one of the kind of leading authorities on black dog apparitions, and has looked at them in cases of hauntings, people um, just reporting them, sort of running and vanishing through walls, but also in the sense that you've just mentioned them, the hellhounds, people seeing them not necessarily as the ghost of a dog that once lived, but more so as a, an apparitional symbol. They sit by a fireplace with these glowing red eyes and right. uh, snarling and like foaming at the mouth and large teeth. And Crossroads and roads, they'll be... Uh, they like inhabit crossroads and roads at many times as well. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and, and in fact, in my book uh, Ghost Today, I, I talk about the black shucks there. I forget the the details exactly, but they on one day two churches was attacked by the black shuck, and you can still go there and see the claw marks on the doors. Uh, is that the one in the UK, Ron? Yes, it is. Yes. Oh, yeah, um, Simon, Simon wrote that up in his um, work. There's a copy of the Paranormal Review in which he visited the church and went through their old, um, it was their diaries, the church diary, and it got the original inscription from the incidents. Really? Uh, supposedly, I remember him giving a talk on it, supposedly two people were killed in one of the incidents. Absolutely. By, by the black dog. and then Black shuck, actually. 
and it ran, ran past them and dived into this door, as you say, and left its claw marks there. And there's a picture of Simon stood next to the door with these claw marks in. And you just wonder, you know, was that one of those, was it a genuine... Well, we actually have to take the break right now. Hold on to that thought. You're listening to Ghost Chronicles International with Cal Cooper and Ron Kolick and our very special guest, Matt Colburn. And we'll, Colborn, we'll be right back with following messages. Welcome to Toginet, radio with a cutting edge. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk gobbly gooky, the Parrax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parrax family. They're strange. Unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew. It's time to rendezvous as we give the awards to the Miller Eggs family. Take 6,427. All right. Hi, I'm Ron Kolek, author and lead investigator of the New England Ghost Project, New England's own Van Helsink. And I'm Ann Kerrigan, the blonde bombshell, and I'm the lead investigator of East Bridgewater's Most Haunted. And we'd like to invite you to tune in. Ghost Chronicles, the next generation. Every Wednesday night. At 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on www.toginet.com. So, so Ann, what are they going to hear on this stupid show? What are they going to hear? They are going to hear things that they can't believe are happening. Like uh, Beyond Bizarre. And Cemetery Tripping. Oh, that's your deal, right? Absolutely. Yeah, one of these days you're going to get so scared of one of these cemetery tripping things that uh, you'll have to get a new (laughs) co-host. I am brave beyond belief. Yeah, we'll see. scares me. So anyways, if you're bored and you got nothing to do on Wednesday night, tune in to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Ann and Ron. See you then. And we are back. You are listening to Ghost Chronicles International with Cal Cooper, New England's own Van Helsing, Ron Kolick, and our very special guest, Dr. Matt Coburn. Coburn, I always get that wrong, I don't know, right here on Pararex, Tojinet, Ghost Channel, and beyond. And uh, that voice, of course, was Ann Kerrigan, my co-host from Ghost Chronicles Next Generation on Wednesday nights at 7. And I do want her, for some people who do know, her husband got in a uh, terrible car accident was and had uh, major back surgery. And But he's up and uh, he's doing okay so far. So uh, our prayers go out to her and she'll return to the show as soon as possible. Yeah, sending out best wishes to him. I will do that. The blonde bombshell. You'll meet her when you come over here in uh, no, not too long, uh, Mr. Cooper. No, a few more weeks, and I'll be there. Mm. <laughs> Anyways, Matt, uh, we just before the break, we were talking about uh, uh, black shucks, hellhounds, and so forth, and, and I, I don't want to get sidetracked, but I usually do that, and so I, I do apologize. I know you brought up uh, cats, so there you go. So um, you do have a book that's out, and uh, I don't have the title in front of me, unfortunately. It's Pluralism and the Mind. Thank you. Yeah. Not having a good day here, Cal. Sorry. 
Oh, no worries. Matt, could you kind of um, briefly sort of explain what the book's about and how it came about as well and also where people can buy it as well? All right, sure, sure, briefly. I mean, it's, it's a little bit off topic for tonight, but that's okay. Yeah. I don't mind plugging, plugging the book. Um, <laughs> we, we talked about it last time. It's sort of, um, I think I gave you this warning last time, it's sort of on an um, academic first-year undergraduate level. Um, so that's just to, to pre-warn you. It's, but it's basically a book about um, consciousness. There is a chapter on um, parapsychology in it. It's sort of one of the last chapters because I think that's relevant to consciousness research. Um, and the chapter on parapsychology actually has a quotation from Charles Ford. So uh -huh. there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I... um, it's available. It's available both in sort of real and electronic form as well. And if you um, do do links to this, there's a. It's on the Facebook page, isn't it? The um, yeah. Anyone Chronicles. listening, they can they can find it on Facebook or they can find it on um, Amazon. Um, but I, I would recommend it. I gave a, uh, a brief uh, book review of it for the Australian Journal of Parapsychology. And anyone listening um, to Ghost Chronicles International, if they're interested in psychology, the paranormal, um, why we experience the world we, the way we do, um, it's, a, it's a very good book to have on your shelf, really. And um, uh, it explores so many different things, such as human free will uh, and so forth. And there's such interesting and deep topics to really go into. Um, is that available in the U.S.? Um, I think it is. There is a U.S. Di distributor, yes. Um, I, to be honest, I haven't looked on Amazon.com, but it's probably worth a look. But um, the publisher does have a U.S. distributor. Yeah, I, found it, I found even with my own book, if people in the U.S. still go to Amazon.co.uk, you can still order books um, from the U.K. to the U.S. via Amazon.co.uk. It works both ways, and it just sorts out the postage for the book, vice versa, you know, whether I order something from .com and so forth. But the, the book is, you know, you got to the book from your 14, 14er phenomena. And another thing we were discussing recently was the links to um, telephone phenomena and UFOs as well. So um, we also mentioned John Keel as well uh, with the uh, Mothman prophecies, which was a book and then later turned into the film. So... Is there any particular case of UFOs or any abductions that ever kind of stuck in your mind or fascinated you? Well, um, it's funny enough, I was sort of thinking about what to say about UFOs um, um, before I came on. Um, I don't know whether you're aware, but there's a big difference between um, European and American um, ufology, which is that in in America, uh, the idea that, that sort of unidentified um, objects in the sky are extraterrestrial spaceships is taken for granted, whereas in Europe, we don't necessarily take that assumption, even if we think that um, the lights in the sky or whatever are unknown. And the reason why I sort of did that preamble is that a lot of... I find that when I look at the... There's such a widespread of UFO cases, and there are some really interesting ones out there. Um, are you still there? Yeah, still yes. there. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I was afraid that we'd been disconnected. No, 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 we're just listening. I was, yeah, I was... Um, <laughs> the aliens haven't taken us yet. Well, no, it's fine. <laughs> but a lot of the ones that I find the most convincing tend to be sort of, of balls of light, 
and of um, what and of experiences that people have that tend to suggest that they're experiencing an altered state of consciousness mm. and a lot of abduction cases certainly fall into that um, into that sort of category for me but I thinking about specific cases um, there's the 19 I think it was 1981 the cash Landrum one which was very strange where there was a basically um, there was a family driving in a car and there was a lot of military helicopters around and they encountered a, a sort of strange object in the road which I think sort of took off and afterwards they all suffered from what appeared to be some kind of burns and that's the kind of case that I find quite interesting it's cases where you have uh, physical things happening mm. and there have been other cases where um, sort of these strange objects have left physical traces and I think they're the most interesting ones in some ways because y you know you've got something tangible you can work with right. yeah there's the variations, aren't there? I mean, we've got the crop circles where sometimes the corn is specifically bent but not snapped. Or yeah, but that not necessarily has anything to do with UFO landings oh, or anything. No, absolutely. But as Matt just said, that he was talking about the burns as well. There are some cases where people haven't reported that the crops were bent, which could be uh, most likely man-made. But right. sometimes there's the scorch marks in the field as though it's been burnt away. And then right. you also have the strange phenomena of cattle uh, mutilation as well, which is... Um, yeah, I don't know what the hell's going on with that. That's, that's too bizarre even for me. <laughs> what do you make yeah, of it? I, I sit on the fence with that one. I, it's one of those things that I've heard contradictory stories. Um, there's quite a strong case that people... What happens is that there are a lot of rumours fly around and that people find animals that have actually been died naturally and been predated and they've mistaken they've mistaken sort of a predated animal for something that's been worked on by something stranger yeah alien satanists well yeah <laughs> but then again on the other hand um these things have been reported by um cattle ranchers and farmers and and quite often people like that work on the on the land and they know you know i mean we we come from a farming area and people aren't stupid you know so i but i sit on the fence i, I just don't know with that one mm. i don't know with most of these really <laughs> but it's fun sort of thinking about them and speculating about what it all might mean you know to me like for instance cal mentioned the, the crops being physically burnt to that to me would weigh more on my thinking than a family that had some suffered some type of burns, because I mean, you can be have psychically uh, what's the word uh, psychosomatic induced symptoms. So yes, that, I mean, yeah, yeah, that that's true, and in fact, that's one of the um, accusations that was um, aim, aimed at this at this family that that they first of all that they might have already been suffering from something, and secondly that that it might have been all uh, psychosomatic or shock. And um, what interests me is that there does seem to be a pattern of um, people encountering odd lights, and when they have close encounters with these odd lights. I'm not saying anything more about them than that. 
Mm-hmm. They tend to suffer from physiological effects like um, like burns or well you know you've seen close encounters but but that kind of reflects a reality uh, of some of these some of the, the cases that that are on record but I think are quite reasonable I mean uh, we can sort of debate on whether the the evidence is up to scratch but the most significant the most convincing cases for me tend to suggest something like a, a very poorly understood natural phenomena um, that produces light mm-hmm. and um, over here we have a researcher called Paul Devereux yeah. who is a very remarkable man he produced in the 80s a theory called Earthlight's theory which was that these um, phenomena they are odd lights that are somehow generated by by the earth that people have encountered through the ages and sort of interpreted in different ways and um i think that sort of theory i'm not by the way i'm not excluding the possibility that there aren't other things mixed in there you know i've got an open mind about um the possibility of of life from other planets and i i think that's worth worth thinking about too but I'm just is saying. It, is it, well, well, Matt. I mean, you talk about lights from other. I mean, light from other planets. Isn't that yeah. almost physically impossible for space travel in that distances? Yeah, I mean, I I don't by any stretch of the imagination claim to be uh, an expert, but but I, but I think that um, there are those who say, um, with some force, I think that. Um, travel from other planets is so unlikely that we've just got to discount that as, as effectively impossible. And that's one reason why European um, people who are interested in the UFO problem started looking at other answers. Um, but I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I, think, I think if there were visitors, then we would need stronger evidence than we actually have right now. Mm-hmm. This is something that I very very briefly in my book Telephone Calls from the Dead touched upon where people were receiving telephone calls that they classed as um, states of emergency, warnings or premonitions about the future and they pick up the phone and they'd either have a voice mimicking their own giving them a warning or people that had been witnesses to UFOs subsequently had strange telephone calls as well. Really? Yeah, I've I've had to delve a little deeper recently um, with a person who uh, used to contribute to the Canadian ufologist, Clay Folley. And um, we've been looking into cases of uh, strange telephone calls that were linked with people that witnessed UFOs and trying to find out why did they interpret the strange telephone call as having something to do with the UFO. So I had to go back to D. Scott Rogo's work and see if he tried to shed any light on it, because he mentioned this in his book, The Haunted Universe. Uh, John Keel mentioned it in The Mothman Prophecies, and also Brad Steiger mentioned it in Mysteries of Time and Space in some of his later books. And the problem with Rogo was, and um, Jerome Clark, who he also wrote with, they said that a lot of people that witness UFOs and some of this other 14 phenomena, 14 phenomena, um, they said that they were hallucinatory in a way, they were, but they were telepathic projections. The thing that you're actually seeing, the UFO, the Bigfoot, is not technically there. It was a very unusual argument, but they said it was more down to psychic phenomena and some sort of psychic projection. 
Um, but when you've got the telephone call, you've got a bit more evidence there to actually look into. You've got the telephone records and so forth to trace and possibly right. multiple witnesses. So it's very strange how all this phenomena interlinks, but it's the only kind of bit of phenomena, the UFOs, that has made me stray a little from parapsychology just to look at some of this phenomena. It's all interesting stuff. I mean, I've also hear, heard the theory, the theory is that UFOs are really us from the future. It's who we've right. evolved to when we're actually going back in time. There right. are so many different theories about, about UFOs. Um, I think there's a theory for... I, I suspect there are probably dozens, hundreds, maybe. Oh yeah. You know, there's a theory that they're there's a theory that they're sort of aerial life forms. Cal mentioned one where they're sort of angel kind of people. There's one that they come from the oh, yeah. hollow earth. You, you know, I mean, the, the number of theories that has been proposed is just un, uh, unbelievable. And um, I mean, a lot of most of these theories, of course, probably have no substance in them whatsoever. Mm. Um, but actually finding out which ones seem to, you know, seem to actually have some substance to them is, is quite often very difficult. And again, when you look at individual cases, you've got to think about these different ideas on a case-by-case basis. That is yeah. after you reasonably excluded mundane things, which is actually very difficult. I mean, I've been interested in... Um, you know, I've been interested in amateur astronomy for quite a long, well, since I was a kid again. And um, when you look up in the sky, you the more you look, the more you realize that there are things out, up there that people could mistake for and, and have quite frequently mistaken for, for um, flying saucers or UFOs. I mean, people have mistaken virtually anything that you came to name. They've mistaken satellites. The planet Venus, um, space junk, aeroplanes, space junk, virtually anything. Anything. I mean, um, Ron, you mentioned that you worked on the Apollo program, so you probably know more about what's up there than I do. But uh, <laughs> it, that was a um, long time ago when I was a young man, my sir. <laughs> that was back in the seventies. Good lord! But you know, you know what's interesting though is is that. You know, I almost think that, uh, and Cal kind of hit on it, is that we really don't know the power of our own minds. And, you know, perhaps a lot of these things we are creating ourselves. And, you know, I almost think that if we ever do space travel, then it may be in, as, a, as an astral projection, uh, really not us, if you know what I mean. In other words, we project ourselves to go to other planets and so forth, but physically we never do, because just because of the size of space. Funnily enough, um, J. Allen Hynek, who's um, one of the uh, investigators of UFOs um, for Project Blue Book back in the 1960s, he had a he sort of eventually evolved a kind of theory like that. So yeah. who knows? Who knows? It's, it's another That's theory it. that we can sort of put on the on the heap. Some, something I wanted to raise since Ron mentioned kind of um, some of these creatures um, coming about through evolution or even recent evolution was uh, an episode of Most Haunted going back to, I think it was the first season when they investigated London Underground. 
And I don't know if any, either of you remember that episode, but Derek Akora suggested that some of the tunnels were inhabited by subterranean people, a race of people that always stayed down there and sort of evolved. So they were very sort of, um, the limbs and facial features were all twisted and sort of different. So, you know, now and then you might see them <laughs> scurry out for food or whatever else. Oh, sort of like the mole people. Yeah, in a way. I don't know if either of you two have heard about that before, about London Tunnels Ground. I, I don't oh, no. remember that. Some of the people you see on the un- London Underground, I can't <laughs> <even> believe it. <laughs> you know, Matt, you know, Cal, I mean, isn't this what really makes what we do so interesting and why we do it? I mean, because there are, we can't prove any of it. And it's just so interesting to delve into it and look at the different theories and, and you know, discount some, of course. Or, but, but there's always, you know, a plus and a minus to every one of them. There is, isn't there? There mm-hmm. is. And I think that was one of Charles Fort's points, actually, coming back to, to Charles Fort. He was sort of the reason why he wrote his books, I think, or one of the reasons was that um, he sort of noticed that human beings are very good at making theories about the world, but that quite often you can make a theory and then you can find an exception to it. So he was sort of poking fun at, at, at our sort of need to have an explanation for, for a lot of these things. And I think that's one thing that sort of comes across today is that when, um, you know, particularly in, in, in the mainstream, um, when sort of anomalies or mysteries or things that are uncontrolled kind of come up, there seems to be, you know, you get the mystery and then you get this sort of explanation that comes and sort of the explanation functions as something a bit soothing, maybe. It's like we, we mm. find the unknown a bit disturbing and, you know, maybe we've sort of got such a bureaucratic and sort of technocratic society that that we can't tolerate the unknown and I, I think if that's true that's a great shame but but Charles Ford was sort of poking fun at that really and saying that you know hang out <laughs> <laughs> I, I certainly think that some of the this 14 phenomena is is witness a lot less than the general stuff we fit into parapsychology because that's all to do with general human interaction and so forth and I, I suppose if any of the 14 phenomena is genuine it's it's kind of um, understandable why it's experienced a lot less because it's creatures that are either just evolved or just dying out and they're living in areas that we wouldn't regularly go to I mean does everyone regularly go to Loch Ness and wander about there every day um, but, you know, houses are haunted and some people live in them. So, you know, by chance they'll experience something at some point. So, you know, it, I think this is why you have the general parapsychological phenomena of ghosts, psychic occurrences. They're witnessed on nearly a daily basis. But once in a blue moon, you get these strange occurrences of someone saying, I photographed Bigfoot, I saw the Loch Ness Monster, I saw a UFO. Admittedly, there's probably, I think the most common of the 14 phenomena are the UFO occurrences. I mean, uh, what yeah. would you I mean, I think that um, one thing that strikes me is that I think people are exposed to nature a lot less. That yeah. people are in, living inside. I mean, I, I, there's a statistic I read recently um, that apparently people in the Western world spend, nine, on average, spend 90% plus of their time inside. Jeez. And a lot of these things, of course, you have to get out into the woods or, or you know, you just have to look and sort of, you know, not spend the evening on Facebook or on Skype, <laughs> but you you have to get out in into the field. And I think I think you're right, Cal, that that maybe these things aren't as encountered 
I, actually, I think you can underestimate it as well because I think people do see odd things, and you know, you, you do get things, you do get people in the field seeing strange things. You get people going camping. It's like in the U.S., quite a lot of people. Um, there are quite a lot of big Bigfoot sightings still each year, yeah. sort of a steady trickle, but it tends to be people who are on holiday, who've gone camping or maybe hunting in the woods, something like that. Yeah. You know you know what intrigues me, like the, the Bigfoot, the Yeti, is why can't we ever get a body? You know what I mean? That's, yeah. that to me, I, that's the only thing that really I, I don't understand. If they really exist, then why don't we have a body? I don't. I, I agree, Ron. I don't understand that either. Um, and it's strange because sometimes you, you sort of read these um, studies people have done of the footprints, and then you you um, listen to the sightings that people have, and you think these there seems to be something there. But as you say, why isn't there a body yet? Why haven't we found something? And it's the same with Loch Ness, actually. Um, well, because, yeah, that, well, sorry. That, that was the premise of the film with Ted Danson, really. I mean, um, and I think some people have probably tried it at some point. You talked about the the sonar scans of the surface of the lake, and that was the whole idea of the film. As a cryptozoologist, he was employed and got uh, grants and funding to actually take a boat up and down the lock and scan it. And so they concluded just from doing scans and showing that there was nothing down there that... Loch Ness, uh, the Loch Ness monster didn't exist, but then there was this whole idea of, well, that's just scanning the surface down to the bottom. What if there's caverns off to the left or right at the end that it, it lives in? I mean, it's like you're not probably going to travel down um, a lake in some jungle, let's say, and always see a crocodile. Crocodiles always live in these caverns to the side of the river most of the time. So um, we can't just dismiss things, dismiss things on first investigation. You know, they require repeated investigation until we can reach any sensible conclusion. I, I agree. I mean, you, just because you did a scan it isn't proven it doesn't exist. It just proves that you didn't catch it. Yeah, absolutely. That's true. Only... Oh, sorry, Matt, go on. That, I was just going to say that's, that's true. Um, I think... It's, it is fair to go on a balance of probability, but and you've got to remember that a lot of, a lot of these things really are long shots. You, you know, each time you sort of posit something that is spectacularly out of the ordinary, like the Loch Ness Monster or, I don't know, a dinosaur in the centre of Africa or, or Bigfoot, I mean, that's a pretty fantastic thing to be to be thinking about. and And so... You've got to say that, well, the probability is that there's nothing there. But, you know, if you've got enough to go on, then you can say, well, it's investigate. It's worth investigating. But, of course, that's a personal choice. You know, what some people think is worth investigating, other people, other people don't. So I think it, it comes down to what you're willing to put your time and money into, really. Right. It, it does. And, I mean... To me, it's like so many things in the Paris, paranormal uh, category that perhaps they'll never be uh, proven. Uh, it, can they be disproven only that they haven't been able to prove them, that they didn't exist, I guess, <laughs> or they do exist? So it, it's a, you can't really disprove them, and you can't really prove them. You only can 
do what you do, and that is try to. Yeah, I mean, but also I think it, it, it's, on the other hand, it's it's fun to go on expeditions and... Oh, it's definitely fun. You know, it's fun to go out. And I think also that being interested in sort of this sort of thing, it, it means... Anyways, the, uh, the, I heard the bell, that means the pizza's here, so that means we've got to wrap it up. Uh, oh. Don't want to got the pizza get cold so um matt uh we've been speaking with uh, dr matt colburn is it coburn or coburn it's uh kind of pronounced coburn really coburn okay because <laughs> I, I i tend to murder legs names and i do ap- apologize for that oh, it, um, it makes a terrible hash of the most of the time oh yeah i do i do i do <laughs> so so matt do you have anything particularly you're working on um well, in this field, not really. I mean, I've done bits and pieces for the SPR, uh, um, the Society for Psychic Research. I gave them a talk in March, yeah. and I put blogs up every so often and just seeing how the book's doing, really. Yes, yeah, so, um, so your book's Pluralism of the Mind. Where can people get the book and also give us um, the title of your blog and where people can read up on what you're doing? Right, okay. Well, the blog is called Cosmic Citizen, if you put it in the uh, in Google, then it should come up. There's a radio show which has something to do with the Urantia people, but if you put Cosmic Citizen blog, you'll be able to find it. And I've, I've put a, the latest entry has all sorts of goodies on Charles Fort and, and Fortean things, all the things we've been talking about tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, the book, you can order it through the blog. So Cosmic Excellent. Citizen uh, into Google. Excellent. Okay. Uh, Matt, thank you so much for being on the show. Cal, I look forward. You're coming over here at the end of July uh, for a spirit course and a bunch of other events. So I'm uh, really looking forward to that. We'll go out and have a few pints together or some Many. tea, whatever you can handle. And, Many uh, of beer and tea. <laughs> pint of tea. Okay, pint of tea. There you go. I, I could do a pint of tea. Oh, I could beat you on a, t- uh, a time to tea. You, you, keep say, you keep saying that, young man, but I guarantee you won't. I'll drink you under the table, old man. Tea, <laughs> this is it. <laughs> anyway. Excellent. Uh, Cal, anything coming up for you as, as we go out with the music? Loads of projects um, at the moment, as I say, writing all the time to look out for my future publications. Anyone wanting to read more about Telephone Phenomena, go to Amazon or my website, calcooper.com, and order the book Telephone Calls from the Dead. There you go. And have a good night. God bless everyone. Catch you later. From goalies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord. You're listening to... <laughs>